Thanks for joining us today for the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. Today on the Real Self University podcast, my guest is Denver board certified plastic surgeon, Greg Buford. Welcome, Dr. Buford. It's good to have you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Tell us about your practice a little bit. How long have you been in private practice? And just give us the basics of your background. Sure. I'm a board certified surgeon. I've been in Denver, Colorado for going on about 20 years. My practice is 100% cosmetic. I focus predominantly on uh, on breast enhancement, body contouring, facial rejuvenation, predominantly with energy-based devices and injectables. I also have a background in rejuvenative medicine. I completed a fellowship in that a few years back. Um, I completed a, a business fellowship as well too at Kellogg, which is the business school of Northwestern. And I'm the author of Eat, Drink, Heal, the uh, art and science of certain surgical nutrition, as well as Beauty in the Business, which was my first book published in 2010. So obviously, I've got a little bit of ADD. <laughs> Do you sleep? As little as I can. <laughs> Although now that I'm getting older, I'm definitely, and with what's going on right now, I'm, I'm definitely sleeping in a little bit more. You're catching up. So it sounds like you're pretty diverse and you're interested in lots of things. Was there anything... Early on, did you ever have a different career in mind besides being a plastic surgeon? So I'll, I'll tell you the story that I've said, I've told to, to a number of people. When I was age of four, this is for my parents. When I was at the age of four, I told my parents, from here on out, you were to call me Dr. Bill. My lunchbox was my medical kit and I was going to be a doctor. I, and I actually used that. I had the honor of being the commencement address speaker at my alma mater about two years ago. And I, I actually opened up with that. And that's, and that's the God's honest truth. Why Bill? Your name's not Bill. I, well, and I don't have any bills in the family. And, and, and I don't even have any doctors in the family. So how I suddenly got this, you know, aha moment, I have no idea. But I, I literally, my parents laugh about that to this day. And I, was, and I was actually very serious about it. People would come up and say, oh, that's really cute, son. I'd say, no, it's Dr. Bill. And I was very, very serious. And that's, that's, that's a God's honest truth. So how in the world I decided at the age of four what my career path was, I have no idea. But from there, I was an English major in college. I studied the humanities. I studied art. I studied Latin. I think that being well-rounded is, you know, a lot of people talk about the value of that. I can't overemphasize how important that is. I mean, you know, when you get into crisis management, the people that do better, I think, are the ones out of the box, the ones that don't go with prefabricated solutions, you know, the ones that don't fork on things that are tried and tested. They break the mold. And I'm not certainly not comparing myself to these people, but the people that I aspire to be like in terms of creativity, you know, I'd say at the top of the list is Elon Musk. I mean, Elon Musk is a genius. You know, he's an incredible guy. He reads voraciously. He knows facts from just a wide range of areas. And I truly think that's why he's been able to create companies that are so diverse. You know, you look at it, he doesn't go down one path. He goes down several. And he's been ridiculously successful in all these paths. He's made a ton of mistakes, but you know what? Show me an inventor, a creator, an entrepreneur that has not made mistakes. Mistakes are the stepping stones to success. They really are. But it's how you those mistakes is how you learn from them and how you assimilate your decisions, you know, and, and understand what you did well and what you did not. 
but I've got a pretty diverse band. And I, and I think for me, it's, you know, it's been fun. I, I really think that understanding art has really helped me in plastic surgery, you know, understanding cooking has helped me in many ways as well, too. I'm an avid photographer as well, too. I mean, all these things sound like very different pursuits, but in reality, they all actually play into the central role of always thinking out of the box, trying to identify different perspectives, you know, really trying to look at things different than other people look at things. And so I think if you had to ask me, you know, what was one of my greatest strengths, it's, it's my ability to identify perspective and to be able to flip perspective around and to pivot and to think differently. There's that innate curiosity. I think another way to describe it is you always have to know how stuff works. Right. So you see something and you have to go figure it out. And a lot of people like you have to go master that thing too. And then we'll move on to the next thing or incorporate one thing into the things you're already doing. And you just kind of become more and more rounded over the course of your life. What did your parents do just out of curiosity? My father's a civil engineer. He started his own company. And my mom, uh, she basically helped run the business with him. She raised us. I always hesitate to say that she was a stay-at-home mom because she really wasn't. I mean, she had her finger in so many pursuits in terms of the business. Uh, My mom's a master gardener. My dad is a very good scuba diver. He used to dive a lot. So, I mean, they've, they've had a wide range of pursuits and they always instilled in me that that sense of curiosity and, and never, never tried to stifle that. I mean, I think that's one big mistake that I hear people saying is, you know, stick to one thing. Don't stick to one thing. Figure, you know, try a lot. Screw up. I mean, going back to the commencement address, one of the things that I encourage the graduates to do is to make mistakes. Go out with those mistakes. I mean, you know, life isn't meant to be played through a playbook. I mean, if you did that, who cares? I mean, that ruins the... It's like skipping to the end of the book and reading the end. I mean, you've now ruined the entire story. Life is fun. You know, make mistakes, go out there and learn from them and never be afraid of failure. I mean, failure is, again, one of the greatest ways to learn not only about life, but also about yourself as well, too. And I think that's one thing that we're continually trying to figure out is, you know, who are we? What are we, what are we really here for? What makes us tick? What makes us happy? However you define that term happy. How do you think about making mistakes in medicine or failure in terms of your practice of medicine where that's really not something that people want to hear? Yeah, I usually don't tell my patients. I'm going to really try to a lot and especially don't try not to say that before (laughs) I go into surgery. You know, what I would say is it's not so much about screwing up. It's about thinking about things in a different manner. You know, it's about thinking about facial rejuvenation in a different manner and asking, what are we really doing? I mean, when we do Botox, what are we really doing? You know, when we're doing a breast enhancement, I mean, what are we really trying to achieve? It's, it's asking the questions behind the questions. It's not being afraid to challenge the status quo because, in, you know, in reality, the only way you make things change is by, is by changing. Now, in terms of making mistakes, I can tell you marketing-wise, I wrote a book on that, Beauty in the Business. I wrote that because there really wasn't any great books when I left my training. I have made so many mistakes in terms of marketing. I've made a ton of mistakes. We could talk this whole podcast about all the ways I've screwed up. It's one of my favorite topics, actually. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, we, we could do another one. I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> all the favorite Dr. B. <laughs> what not to do. 
but you know, it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. I mean, I still got a lot of energy in me, but you know, I'm back and I'm like, wow, what was I ever thinking? But I always tell my staff, brainstorm. There are no stupid questions and there are no stupid answers. Okay. Think about it as a society, 20, 30 years ago, we were literally buying rocks with eyeballs on them. Okay. If you think there are stupid things there, we bought pet rocks. Okay. So, and someone is sitting in a very large home somewhere because we bought their pet rocks. So there are no stupid questions and no stupid answers. You know, that's, that's really, I encourage people, like I said, ask the dumb questions, ask the things that you think you shouldn't be asking. Now, when I'm, you know, when I'm speaking with patients, I'm trying to, I've got to sound intelligent. I can't say, say dumb things or anything like that, but it's also about being creative. And I think people understand that and they can see the difference. Let's go back to the mistakes for a second. You know, I've been marketing in plastic surgery since 2003. So I haven't made as many mistakes as some people, but I have done a lot of testing and I've never been afraid to try something to see if it worked. And I think that's sort of in the same thread. But if you're my customer, I'm certainly not going to make mistakes on your dime. And just like you're not going to make mistakes on your patient's dime. Right. Right. So let's just talk about websites. Like what are some of the big mistakes you can think of over the last 10 or 15 years with websites that people have made? That's an easy one. It's like when companies create a product, they sit in a board, they eat donuts, they swill down coffee, but they never ask the consumer what the consumer really wants. And then they launch the product and it fails completely. Why? Because you didn't ask the simple question. What do you want? You know, so if you look at websites, half these websites aren't really talking to the consumer they're talking to the physician and they're saying, oh, look, look at me, look at me, I'm so great. They're not forward-facing. They're not patient-centric. So you really have to ask the question, who are you trying to attract? Who are you trying to talk to? And if you know who you're trying to talk to, then you know how to talk to them. If you're talking to a 25-year-old female, you know, that's very different than talking to a 65-year-old male, right? I mean, very different. So you have to adjust your language your pros, your positioning, your color scheme, I mean, all these things, all these things you have to know. Let me back up real quick here. I had a publicist years ago, and I remember the first question that she asked me was, what do you want to accomplish? I said, I want to be successful. She goes, well, that's the dumbest thing in the world. She said, what is success? She said, first of all, who's your patient? I said, well, you know, my patient, I'm going to do breast implant. She said, no, no, no. Who's your patient? How old is your patient? You know, what's your patient's ethnicity? What's the geographic background? What's your education level? Drill down all these things until you know exactly who that person is. You don't know how to market to them because you don't know how to create collateral. You don't know how to create positioning. So that's so important. But I'll tell you what, and I, and I think you'd agree with that. I mean, you're nodding your head. I mean, these are such, such basic things. And the funny thing about marketing is that some of the simplest things, simplest concepts are often left behind in pursuit of these very elaborate, you know, oh, we're going to do this huge thing that's so complicated. That's the dumbest thing in the world. The enemy of good is better, okay? You know, there's a saying in surgery, the enemy of good is better. You keep trying to be better, well, so what? You already got something that's really good, launch it. You know, improve it over time, but one of my favorite sayings, just do it. The other one is, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And that is one of my favorite sayings. 
So guess what? Lace up your shoes, put one foot in front of the other and just go, walk, do it. This podcast wouldn't be here if I hadn't just said, I'm going to just try this and see what happens. Right, right. And see, and you've, now you've got a crazy successful podcast. And who knows if you thought, well, there's already a lot of podcasts out like this. Well, that's what your competition says. You got to outthink your competition. It turns out there actually aren't really any podcasts where anyone's talking to doctors about business. That's good. That I've found. There's, there's doctors trying to talk to patients about plastic surgery. Right. But there's nothing on the other side. So, so far, so good. And I think that the people in our industry are the most fascinating people in the world. And I would love to get everyone's story eventually. I'm proud that we've made it this far. Right. Okay. One of the things I like to say about websites is that it should be a mirror. So what you're saying about getting to who your patient is, is ultimately reflected in what the site looks like. And I think your current site does a beautiful job of that. And I'm interested in hearing about the approach you're taking to the current site and what the results have been from the way that you're doing that right now. Right. Well, here's what I would say. I mean, I've got all these great accolades, but you know what? When it really comes down to it, who cares? I think that so many people put board certified, Ivy League, blah, 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 I've been People Magazine. Who cares? I mean, who really cares? When people come in, here's what they want. They want someone that's going to take care of them, that's going to respect them, and that ultimately is going to treat them like family. And that sounds so corny, but it's true. I mean, I try to treat my patients like I would treat my family because somewhere out there, there is someone that's treating my family. And I would, I'd, I would, you know, be doing the same because everyone you treat is someone's family, right? But it's asking the questions. And I do this crazy thing. I actually ask my patients, what do you think about this? You know, what would you like to see on the site? I try to put up creative stuff. If you go in my office, there's a lot of marketing stuff. But interspersed on those screens is all my photography. And I'll tell you, like, well, you know, why are you putting up all these crazy photos of your world travel? People love it. People don't want to sit there and watch Times Square. They don't want to have this running multi-level marketing nonsense. They want to break. They want to learn. They want to be educated. But life is short. And putting up these pretty pictures, I can't tell you how many people have been like, oh, my God. This is great. You really do a nice job with photography. Where was this beach? Where was, and it's a great car starter. Yeah. The other thing it does too is it shows people I'm a human being. You know, I, I'm not in the ivory tower. I'm not this guy of like, oh, Georgetown and Cleveland Clinic. Who cares? You know, those are great places. And I'm very proud to have had the opportunity to train at some wonderful places and train with some wonderful mentors. At the end of the day, it's really, who are you as a person? And do people like you as a person? Because if they don't like you as a person, you better be really good. Because if you're a jerk, I mean, your skills better be so head and shoulders above everybody else because no one really wants to work with you. And there's a lot of really good physicians out there. So I try to be the person that people want to be like, wow, that's you know, that's kind of cool. Dr. B is fun. I've got great staff. I mean, I am very blessed. And I mean this. I have phenomenal staff. And I'm very careful about creating corporate culture because corporate culture defines who you are. Okay. 
We're not all about widgets, no matter what you do, whether you make tennis shoes or you're a rock star or you're a plastic surgeon, what have you. That culture is really important because it tells people a lot about you. You know, they can figure out your products and so forth, but the culture is really what defines you. Well, your opinion is actually backed up with lots of data in that patients choose a doctor, especially for plastic surgery, based on how you made them feel. So what I like about what you're saying is you're creating all these touch points everywhere that they interact with you that are designed to make them feel comfortable and get to know you as a person, which you can't just rely on a single consultation to do that. You have to use your marketing to actually accomplish that. Right. Well, and also too, when it comes down to it, you're a marketer, you know, we're all brands. I mean, we all are honestly brands. But as a, as a physician though, in medical and residency, you know, no one ever taught us that. Do you know why I, I do you know why I made beauty in the business? It was because when I was, um, when I was rounding one day, okay, I'm not going to use names. When I was rounding one day, I asked about the business of medicine and, and you know what? My mentor said, Dr. Buford, medicine is not a business. And guess what? That was the dumbest thing that anyone has ever told me. Medicine is not a business. Of course it's a business. And we're all brands. And the sooner you identify that, the sooner you build a good brand. So I, you know what I did? I went and wrote my book and I said, guess what? Big slap in the face. I'm calling it beauty in business, not beauty in the scalpel or beauty in the whatever. It's beauty in the business because ultimately it is a business. But that doesn't mean that it can't be fun. Businesses should be fun. Look at Apple. Apple is fun. Apple makes great products, but they have fun. Most of the time. That's what I want to be. You know, I don't want to be that stodgy nonsense. Look at me, look at me. I want to have people going, hey, you know, like my social media. I, you know, I post pictures of my cat. My cat <laughs> who's, who's, who uh, has a, the moniker Spa Kitty. She's awesome. Her name is Baby Zoe. And Zoe is, is a rock star in her own right. Does she come to the office? Uh, she actually doesn't because she would be all over the place. Trust me. She, I, I never get anything done. But she... Uh, She's a crazy cat. And so if I was such a serious person, all I would be doing is posting before and afters. I put pictures of my cat. I put pictures, you know, of me, goofy pictures of me hiking. I put just stupid pictures of whatever. But they show that I'm a human being. They show that I actually, I'm not just a, not just a degree. So to... Cats are really good for web traffic, by the way. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> they might not convert. But they definitely help. And the craziest thing, I put up some like things. I have a digital marketing director and, you know, she'll put up these like just amazing things. I'm like, oh my God, you know, we're going to, we're going to get so much traffic on this. And it goes, kerplonk, you know, we don't get much. I put a picture of Spa Kitty up and she gets just a crazy amount of traffic. And people are like, oh, I love this. Oh, she's crazy. Blah, 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 blah. And so... You know, when it comes down to it, just have fun. She probably has a halo effect on the other stuff, though. Like they come for the kitty and they stay for the oh, I, I the totally rest agree. Of the marketing, yeah, yeah I totally pretty agree. smart. So you have digital marketing director in house. She's full time. I do full time. Yeah, I used to do it all myself. Believe it or not, I believe it. You know me pretty well. I mean, it was my ADD. I was trying to multitask and so forth. And I used to go around the, the country speaking. I mean, that's basically how I met Tom. I mean, I met Tom because 
I actually was, uh, we were doing a point counterpoint and Tom was on the counterpoint and I had to go against Tom Syria, which I'm like, great. Okay. So, <laughs> so then we became friends after that, you know, so I used to do all this marketing. The rules have changed. I mean, I can guide stuff, but the metrics, the analytics, all the algorithms and stuff. I can't keep up on them. I'm really good at what I do in plastic surgery. I think I've got a pretty good business sense, but actually keeping up on what Google's doing one day, what you know, Instagram's doing one day, I can't do that. I mean, I'll do a big shout out. My digital market director, she rocks, absolutely rocks. And I've got a group too, Neely. So I've got Keely and Neely, um, Neely that runs my, uh, my website. She's phenomenal. You surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. That's a very, very smart thing to do because we don't know everything. I try to find when I'm hiring, I want people that know stuff that I don't because if they know stuff that I don't, I can focus on what I do really well and they can teach me, but I'm never going to know everything. There's just too much information. Trying to know everything now is like drinking through a fire hose. It ain't going to happen. The job of the digital marketer over, let's just say 15 years to use a round number, Right. It started as one job, which was build a website, put some keywords in it, tweak the tags, you know, put some content on it. And it's gone from that sort of single focus to probably 20 different jobs. And each one of those jobs is specialized now. So at some level, you have to have a, a marketing director. And I'm curious if you're giving advice to others like who don't have someone in house yet, where's the line between trying to manage it yourself and finally giving up and hiring somebody full-time to do it for you? It's, that's a good question. It's hard to get an answer on that one. I, what I would say though is identify how much time you have available for it. But most importantly, identify how good you really are. The problem with most of us physicians, you know, we've got these huge egos. I know that comes as such a sh- huge shock, but you know, as physicians, you think we know everything. Well, guess what? Reality check, we don't. And like I said, I'm really good at breast. I'm really good at facial injectable. I'm really good at body contouring. But you know, when it comes down to the latest algorithms on Instagram, you know how I'm really good at that? Because I've got a really good digital director. I've got a really good digital director. And I ask her a lot of questions. And you know, she puts together some phenomenal stuff. And I just sit back and go, God, you just made me look great. Thank you. I'm so glad that I'm not doing this anymore. Really. And when I was doing marketing years ago, I really loved it. I mean, I was one of the early embracers of the internet, okay? I mean, that's that's the truth. I mean, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I'm pretty sure you were my customer in my first job. (laughs) I probably. I think you were. I probably was. From 2003 to 8, which probably is right about when you went into private practice. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit before that, 2001. So it's just one of those things. If it's not fun anymore, don't do it. You know, don't do it. Life is too short. That's why, you know, I'd rather free up more time instead of doing the marketing at home and so forth. She's doing it. She's doing a much better job than I'm doing. And this way, you know, it frees me up and I can do writing. I'm trying to get back and for a while I wasn't reading as much. I'm really trying to get back into reading. I mean, you know, that's one thing I would say as well too. Another big plug for, for Musk, for Bill Gates and so forth. If you really look at thought leaders, they read a ton and they don't just read about what they do and they don't read to their strengths. They figure out what they don't know and they learn about it. You know, whether it's art, whether it's literature, whether it's music, whether it's mathematics, what have you. The greatest thinkers are well-rounded. 
Now that said, nowadays, there's so many trade technicians that, you know, there's people that are super, super, super good at doing one thing. And that's nothing wrong with that. But to me, life is so fun. It's so rich that to get pigeonholed into one corner and say, all I'm going to do is this. All I'm going to do is this. Well, you know what? You're over there at your, that party. You're missing the other party down the road. Okay. I mean, life is really, really short. Enjoy it. Are you going to write another book anytime soon? My fiance told me she'd kill me if I did. <laughs> so tell us about the process. Why would she kill you if you wrote another book? Oh, it's, I mean, it is, to anyone that's ever written a book, you'll understand this. I mean, it is an arduous process. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy. I remember writing my first book and um, I would go upstairs and on Mondays, I would have about three or four cups of coffee, you know, and a pride of Mountain Dew. I was so caffeined out of my mind and I would sit there and type and literally the book wrote itself. I swear to God, the book wrote itself. And I've talked to so many people about that. And they, you know, now they have a term for it. It's called flow. I mean, once you get into flow, I would go up there and I'd be like, holy cow, I just wrote two chapters. What just happened? I mean, you get possessed. Sometimes you go back and read it and you almost wonder how you even did it in the first place. Right. And I would go back and read and go, wow, this is pretty good. I'm like, (laughs) considering the source, I'm like, I can't believe I wrote this stuff. This is pretty good. So I think in terms of writing in the future, my big hobby now is really photography. So I'm really expanding in that realm. So, I mean, it'll probably be a while before I go back and write write a third book. So with the photos, are you into people, places? What's your usual go-to for subject matter there? I like people and I like catching people in their natural environment. I mean, that, that sounds so crazy, but I call it like street photography, basically. You know, when I've traveled all over the world, you know, I've been to... South America, Europe, Asia, India. I mean, I've been to some crazy places. And I love capturing people's faces on film. And I like capturing them It just doing what they do. You know, I'm just on the streets, not posed. You know, it's that guy walking down the, the dark alley. I mean, you always have, when you look at the photos, every photo should tell a story. It has a subject, okay? It has a subject and it has a theme. And so when you look at it, you go, okay, there's a guy. I took a picture in Peru and it's, um, it's this guy looks like a cowboy. He's walking his walk street and it's kind of a darker street. And I'm thinking, you know, he's carrying a big bag of grain. I'm thinking, you know, I wonder what his story is. I'm, you know, I wonder what he's coming from. I wonder what his background is. Photographs, they're art and they should make you think. If you just look at a photograph, a photograph should either, it should stimulate you some way. You should either go, that is really good. Or you should say, you know what? that just outright stinks. That is the dumbest photograph I've ever seen. If a photograph or a piece of art doesn't move you in some way, then it's worthless, okay? I mean, that's the whole thing with art. Art needs to create some type of feeling in you, whether that art is literature, music, painted art, sculpture, whatever. But for me, photography, I mean, it tells a story, really does. Maybe that's your next book. It's just a book of photos. Probably, actually. Yeah, I know. I, I think it is. I actually have a, I have two books in my waiting room. I have one from Paris. I have one from Ireland. And then I have another working on right now for Asia. And then I've got another for South America, actually. We just got back from uh, Colombia. So. so let's go back to the marketing for a second. I want to ask you about, it's a little weird, but I want to ask you about Miss America. Uh, it <laughs> says in your bio that you've been a judge for Miss America. And I, I was. And, 
I always got to know how stuff works. So how did you get that in the first place? And then what was it like? So I wasn't a national judge. I was actually, a, I was a judge for both the Colorado pageant as well as uh, Miss New Mexico. And this is when I was young. I mean, I had a lot more time on my hands. Um, you know, I went up there as a quote, it was kind of humorous. I was a quote, celebrity judge, whatever that means. I mean, I, I was so young. <laughs> I don't I don't think I was a celebrity in any manner, but whatever. You know, it was, it was kind of interesting. I did that for a couple of years. I had fun with it. How I got involved one of my patients actually uh, worked pretty high up in the Miss Colorado pageant. And she said, hey, you know what? We'd love to have you on board. You're a plastic surgeon. You're obviously in the field of beauty. You know, it's great. I, I think my issue with it over time is, you know, a lot of people take themselves a little bit too seriously and they get a little bit too into that. I also too, I don't know if you know this, I was a, a men's physique competitor. So I was one of those like bodybuilder kind of guys that goes up age and poses and all that kind of nonsense. Why I did that, I mean, my friends all thought I was nuts, but I did it as a challenge. And I actually took first place in my category and I actually qualified to go pro national. I decided not to because same thing. I'm, you know, I got out of it what I wanted to get out of it. I, I didn't prove anything to anybody else. I proved it to myself. I did something so crazy out of the box. It's like, it's like people that jump out of planes. It's a perfectly good plane. What the hell are you jumping out of it for? To prove that I can. Yes. You know, same thing as roller coasters. Figure out what stimulates you. You know, figure out what what creates that Zen moment, what really, you know, opens your eyes and makes you awake. And I think that's a term I really enjoy saying is, are you awake? Because a lot of people go through life and they're not. I mean, they're kind of like, I know we're kind of getting off track here, but one of my least favorite sayings, I can't stand when people say this. Oh, thank God it's Friday. I hate when people say that. I don't say I, that. Right? I mean, here's, here's why. There are people that are not going to make it to Friday, okay? Life is, I mean, look at what's going on around us right now. There are people that are not going to make it to tomorrow, right? I mean, if every day you're thinking, oh my God, I can't wait for four more days or five more days, and then, then I'm really going to enjoy the weekend. Well, you know what? Enjoy life. I mean, life is way too short, and there's a lot of people that don't have the option of living. They really don't. I mean, for whatever reason, they may have, you know, they may have disabilities, what have you. You know, they may not have the financial means. They may not have the opportunities. When you have opportunities, my goodness, take those opportunities. Seize the day. Shame on anybody that has an opportunity and doesn't do something with it. I sometimes think, especially in, even just in the last 10 or 15 years, probably coinciding with the smartphone era, we don't want to wait a long time for things anymore. We want what we want right now. Right. And you can't get everything right now. You have to right. work work for some things. And it goes all the way back to what you said early, which was the thousand miles starts with one step. Right. Yeah. Right. Just get out and do it. Pick something that is so out of your comfort zone and just do it. One of the things that's out of my comfort zone is I have a horrible fear of heights. So what did I do? I was, I'll give credit, my, uh, my fiance's daughter. I'll never forget being in Mexico and standing there as a zip line, probably about 200 feet above the ground and basically thinking, well, my space is going to loosen in just a minute. I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing here. And they want me, these crazy guys who I just met, want to fling me down across the canopy of trees. I mean, we're, we're pretty high. She looked at me, she says, she says, Greg, you're going to be okay. 
She was like eight. She was like eight. And I'm like, you got to be serious me. An eight-year-old just told me, just told me that. I'm like, okay, we're doing it. Come on, baby. Let's do it. And I had a blast. We did Machu Picchu last year for anybody who's never been Machu Picchu. I mean, it was, it was life-changing. I mean, it's a, you don't have to be religious. I'm not a very religious person. I'm more spiritual. There is an energy that is unmistakable when you are at that high of altitude in a place like Machu Picchu. I mean, it's just, it, it, you can't describe it. I took some great photos. The photos, I mean, they're really nice and so forth. Typical things. There's a llama in the back and blah, 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 blah. And there's the Andes. Look at this. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a presence. But the, one of the reasons I did as well, too, is, I mean, you're way high up there. I mean, you're driving up on these mountain roads. There's no guardrails. Your bus goes over the other side. They're not taking you to the hospital. They're putting you in a bag. It's thousand foot drops. It's crazy. But I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. Now I can say I've done it. And I just keep trying to build on stuff like that. But it's all, I don't want any regrets. When, you know, people talk about your last breath, what do you want to think about? And and what I want to think about is the fact, you know what? I use this body as much as I could, you know, to do all kinds of crazy hiking, biking, traveling the world, taking pictures, you know, meeting crazy people. I want to look at life and say, yeah, I have very few regrets. I'm glad, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, but hey, I learned a lot as well too. And I had a lot of fun. Definitely don't want to get to the end and have my headstone say, she worked really hard. (laughs) Yeah, no one ever says that. No. I mean, there's times in your life where you just have to work really hard, but they have to be seasons. They can't be permanent. Well, you work, you work hard, play hard. Life's a balance. It's also too, as much as I like traveling, I don't want to travel all the time. Someone asked me the other day, they said, well, when are you going to retire? I'm like, well, I'm going to slow down to the OR forever because, you know, my hands and my vision and so forth are not, you know, I'm 53 right now at age 70. I mean, you know, they're not going to be the same. But here's the thing. I would be so bored to death if I was completely done retiring. I want to consult. I want to educate. I mean, you know me pretty well. I love educating, training other people. I love sharing ideas. I love growing businesses. I love doing a lot of creative stuff that for me to just sit and play golf every day, oh my God, I would just pray to God a golf ball took me away, you know, (laughs) hit me in the head. Yeah, I can't see you doing that. So before we get to the end of this, I love how we've meandered through all these different things. I want to cover Real Self for a second because you've been such a strong supporter, but also very constructively helpful in a way that I think all of us are really grateful for. Thank you. What's your experience been just over the last year working with us on the ad board and and helping us make some key changes. Can you just expand on that a little? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, I want to thank, I want to thank you, Tom, Maureen, Kelsey, I mean, Dan, I mean, everybody that, you know, has given me the opportunity to work with you guys. I've been a big fan of, of Real Self for years. You know, I've known Tom, you know, like I said in the story, I, I mean, that really, that's, that's a true story. Yeah. Do you remember what the, what the topic was that you had to battle? Yeah, it was, it was the importance. It was the importance. I think it was of social media or something like this. And I was arguing that it was not important. It was at Vegas cosmetic surgery. And they said, you're going to be going up against this guy. I'm like, I'm like, who are you? Who am I talking to? He said, Tom Siri. I'm like, you're seriously kidding me. You're, you're having me debate the, and I'm like, 
I don't even believe in the position that I'm taking. I'm like, and you're going to have Tom Surrey who started a company with this. Are you seriously kidding me? So we got a big, we got a big chuckle out of it because, you know, I'm looking at Tom and, you know, Tom can pretty much read me. He's like, he's like, you're full of it. He's like, you don't even believe the point. It was like debate team. And after that, I went up and talked to him and I just, I shook his hand. I said, I said, you realize I don't even believe what I just said. I'm like, I had to argue one point or the other was, was more kind of a, of a playful thing. And we just became friends. I mean, I've known Tom for several years, but getting back to it, Real self has a very valid place within the medical marketplace, you know, within medicine itself as an educational tool for consumers, as a way of vetting out trends, whatever's going on, you know, what really works, what doesn't necessarily, but it needed to be fine-tuned. And what I told Tom and what I told, you know, you know this, I mean, I'm very outspoken. You guys built a great product and I'll be honest with you, the biggest mistake you guys made is you didn't get physicians involved early on. And you guys look back and said, you know what? Well, we built something within medicine and we forgot to ask anybody in medicine what we should be doing. And when you did that, hats off to you, you guys. I'm, I'm honored to be on the team. The business advisory board, my fellow advisors, those guys are rock stars. They're really great guys, different backgrounds. You guys learn a lot from me, I'm sure. I learned as much or probably more from you. I always say I love being in advisory boards because when I go I actually had the chance to meet with real leaders, not, you know, not these like Instagram wannabe, look at me, look at me. You know, I've got all these followers that don't know, you know, they can't even spell their name right. I mean, it's ridiculous. These are the real people, no pun intended. And being able to have the impact and to hopefully help guide, and, and, I'm, and I'm not taking the credit because it's, it's everybody on the board, but, you know, having the ability to actually opine on directions and on things that I think you guys are doing well and potentially blind spots that you guys have. That's a great opportunity. Not a lot of people ever have that opportunity. And I'll tell you what, seeing things be launched, I'm like, this is kind of cool. I helped build that. That's kind of cool. That's really neat. And here's the thing too, hats off to you guys. I've been an advisor for well over a decade to large, I mean, billion dollar companies. I'll tell you, without mentioning names, I've had several of those companies go, oh yeah, we're going to pay you, you know, we're going to pay you good money and you can sit there and you can give us all your input and so forth. And guess what? They never do a darn thing with what I just said. It's so frustrating when I say, you've got a product and it stinks. Your marketing stinks. And they're like, well, whatever, Dr. Beef, what do you know? And guess what? Five years later, people come back, they say, you know what? Remember when you said that we should have made a different pivot or a turn? Yeah, you were right. I'm like, yeah, I think I was right. I mean, you guys actually, again, you guys actually listened. And so I think that's, that's very powerful because if you're going to have advisors and not listen, then you're just wasting, you're wasting your time and you're wasting the advisor's time. I can't think of anything more insulting from a brand side than to have fake advisory boards where we just pretend to listen to you to make you feel good. Like, oh, totally. But you know what? Actually, I hate to say it. It happens out there. I mean, it happens because the companies are like, oh, you know, we just, we just want to get some feedback. You know, no, you don't. I mean, here's no, the thing. If you get an advisory board, I had a conversation. I can't remember who it was the other day. Maybe it was Tom. There was a, a very famous quote about, if you have an advisory board that agrees with everything you say, fire the advisory board, okay? I mean, fire them. Get rid of them. Clean house. Get the people that say, hey, you missed this. Here's your blind spot. You should have been doing this. You know, what do you think about this? How about a pivot here? I mean, that's... 
I'm the guy that sits in the back of the room, a guy, and everybody looks and goes, up. Oh. Here's Buford again. He's going to tell us our marketing sucks. He's going to say this. But guess what? They look back and they go, you know what? Wow. Okay, those are some valid points. Maybe those are some blind spots. I do the same thing. I've had a number of focus groups of patients come into my office. The first thing I tell them is, I want you to offend me, okay? Politely, please. But I want you to, to really give me honest feedback because I want to really understand what it is that you like about the practice and I also, most importantly, want to know what you don't like and how we can improve. How can we make this a better experience for you? And that's really, I think that's critical, but not a lot of people ask those questions. But I mean, I can tell you now sitting on a number of advisory boards, that's something that I've really seen. Effective advisors are, they're honest advisors. They're going to give you the feedback that maybe you don't want to hear, but ultimately, it's going to help rewrite the ship. It's going to help change the direction and change the course into something that's going to be more effective long-term. Well, it's made a huge difference for us. And it's something we should have done a long time ago, but we can't go back in time, but we can listen now and we are. Yeah, and you guys are doing a great job. And I appreciate it. Like I said, it's an honor. It really is an honor. So the last question we always ask everyone on this podcast is, what's your superpower? And everybody has one, so you can't object to the question. You just have to answer <laughs> it. Perspective. My superpower is perspective. We talked a little bit about that in the beginning. I like to look at situations from multiple angles. You know, I like to look at it from my perspective. I look to, like to look at it from someone else's perspective. I like to look at it from many different ways, many different angles. You know, because if you look, a lot of the most ingenious solutions that have, that have come to us over time have come from crazy arenas from just out of the blue. So when you're trying to think of a problem, think about, you know, what are some really, really dumb solutions to it? What is the dumbest thing I could do? And kind of work from there. Don't think about what's the smartest thing. Think about what's the dumbest thing. (laughs) Because, you know, you think about when I say that, when I say dumb, what would be the way that I would never try to approach this problem? Well, guess what? If no one's ever approached in that way, that might actually not be the dumbest way. That might be the ingenious way. But be open to creativity and be open to perspective. And I, so I would say that my, my superpower is, you know, I bring to my practice a blend of science and a blend of art. I like it. Thank you for sharing your stories with us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.